Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We're here to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. We look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here, issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's episode on environmental justice at the intersection of climate change and worker health. Now, climate change is expected to produce unprecedented shifts in the environment, in our ecology, economics, and population health, and it presents new challenges to the protection of our workers from on-the-job hazards. Many of these challenges are rising, though, as workers throughout the world are suffering from increasing socioeconomic inequality and the precariousness of their work. A recent report has highlighted the fact that all occupational risks are and will be affected by changes to the climate and the environment, with the exception of a few. The main causes of these are, of course, rising temperatures, an alteration of the biological and chemical environment, and a change in the frequency and the intensity of certain climate hazards. Also, current and future impacts expose more people in more places to public health threats. Global climate change, which of course has become one of the most visible environmental concerns of the 21st century, can impact human health both directly and indirectly. Workers are often the very first to be exposed to the effects of climate change for longer durations and at greater intensities than the general public. Additionally, workers are often exposed to conditions that the general public can elect to avoid. Given as much, workers could be called the canaries in the coal mine, it's been said, of climate change. That is, Adverse impacts on workers, such as disease or injury, may be among the very first indicators of climate change health effects. The challenge, of course, is to demonstrate how these climate events may influence worker health and safety, and then to establish plans for mitigating, responding, and adapting to these impacts. Now, there are a number of ways to characterize the impact of climate change on workers. But in general, it can be approached from three different perspectives. First is the amplification of known safety and health hazards. Then there's new, unanticipated, or unrecognized hazards. And then there are the hazards that result from the human response to climate change, such as the development of renewable energy, recycling, and changes in how various structures and communities are built and maintained. As well, socioeconomic disruptions and ecological changes caused by climate change will affect workers in many ways, such as work hours, their locations, the conditions, the opportunities, and security will change for many workers as economic sectors adjust to the higher temperature 
and the extreme participation as well as rising sea levels and more. Here today to help us unpack some of this is Juanita Constable and Dr. Julie Fulcher. Juanita Constable is with the National Resources Defense Council, and she is a senior advocate, climate and health and climate and energy program specialist there. Juanita works with partners to advocate for strong federal and state action to cut carbon pollution and to protect communities from the health effects of climate change. Prior to joining the NRDC, Juanita oversaw the Science and Solutions Department at the Climate Reality Project, and she later served as the advisor to the Climate Action Campaign. She holds a bachelor's and a master's in biology from the University of Victoria in Canada, as well as a climate change and health certificate from the Yale School of Public Health. And she is located and based at NRDC in Washington, D.C. Dr. Julie Fulcher is with Public Citizen, and she advocates for worker health, COVID, and heat safety. Dr. Fulcher has a lengthy career in public policy, including domestic and sexual violence issues, and she's an adjunct professor at Georgetown University, where she also received her law degree, and she has a PhD in psychology from John Hopkins University. Welcome, Juanita, and welcome, Dr. Fulcher. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I am so excited to have both of you all such experts in this, which can be a fairly complicated, but certainly is a very extensive subject to talk about as it relates to environmental justice. So we're just elated that you could join us. I want to start out by posing to both of you all the question of why is climate change and worker health important for people to know about? And why and how is this an environmental justice issue? We'll start with you first, Dr. Fulcher. Well, I think we're all concerned these days about climate change. In general, people are more and more educated about the issue uh, and the problems that we face if we don't make some changes right now uh, in order to at least slow down the problem. Obviously, you can't stop climate change on a dime, um, but we can make some some serious uh, headway in uh, protecting ourselves for the future uh, and limiting that impact. I think when we look at workers, um, obviously, we're all concerned about our health at work. That's become more important than ever for all of us as we realize um, just how uh, uh, susceptible we are to different kinds of problems. With respect to things like rising heat, I don't think people realize what a big issue that is. Uh, more people die of uh, heat hazards, of extreme heat, uh, in this country than they die from hurricanes, tornadoes, and floods combined. So this is a very important environmental issue that impacts all of us. Now, workers, as you said, are going to be even more susceptible because oftentimes their jobs require them to be out in uh, you know, high temperatures outside. They may also work in indoor environments that have very high temperatures. Uh, and those things are going to be greatly exacerbated by climate change. Uh, and so I think we all need to be uh, aware of this uh, and paying attention to what's happening to workers and how we might better address their needs and make sure we reduce the amount of illness, injury, and death that may result from high heat. Thank you, Dr. Fulcher. Juanita, from your perspective, why do you think this is important for people to know about 
Sure. So you both alluded to the fact that a lot of workers that we depend on for essential services like harvesting our food, delivering our packages, taking care of us when we're sick, teaching our kids, those folks are some of the most vulnerable to the health harms of climate change. And unfortunately, because the nature of work in this country is so segregated by race and ethnicity, that also means that many of the workers most at risk are black or brown. And they, uh, at the same time, are not being given the kinds of benefits at work um, or in their communities to actually be resilient to the health impacts of climate change. Thank you. Now, let's dig a little deeper, though, into some of the specific environmental issues that are causing the climate change that affect the worker health, as well as some of the potential health effects of each of these. Sure. So um, the climate change manifests itself in a lot of ways. Rising temperatures, rising sea levels, more extreme storm activity, much wetter storms. And those can have a huge range of health effects on just people going about their daily business. But for workers who have to be out in those environments or who are working in um, buildings that maybe don't have air conditioning or aren't very well climate controlled, they can have a wide range of things happen to them from mold exposure to um, high heat to even mental health effects associated with having to deal with these more extreme conditions. I'd like to drill down a little bit on heat and what it does and how it affects us. Oh, sure, of course. So um, extreme heat is commonly associated with heat stroke and heat exhaustion, the things that we sort of think of as heat-related illnesses. But heat can have an effect on every major organ of our body. And in fact, a recent study found that heat can kill you in 27 different ways because it has so many different effects on internal organs, our brains, um, even our skin. So uh, the, the health effects of heat are wide-ranging, and because of that, they're often unrecognized as heat-related, even when heat is the main cause. Would you say that maybe, or maybe it's not, perhaps the biggest or the most significant issue related to worker health? And I would definitely say it's one of the biggest, and it's one of the most imminent, because we're already seeing heat waves get longer, stronger, and more frequent, and extend into different parts of the year. But unfortunately, there's a lot we don't know about all these other climate-related hazards that we're still learning about. So, for example, there's no good way to track injuries and illnesses associated with hurricanes or other extreme events. And heat is often underreported to the labor databases that we have available to us. We're going to go to break. We've been with Dr. Julie Fulcher and Juanita Constable with the National Resources Defense Council and with Public Citizen. We're going to go to break, but we'll be right back on the other side of the break to talk with them much more about these worker hazards as it relates to climate change. Thank you. And we'd like to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, promoting environmental awareness through expo conferences, film festival, and interactive experiences. For EarthX, Earth Day is every day. So join in the movement, keep in touch, and add to the conversation with them at EarthX League. Go to their website, earthx.org, to register and to start talking, as well as to register for the upcoming conferences in October. Our other sponsor is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority, or the DFW Metroplex and North Texas Communities. 
print issues can be found at all Whole Foods, Natural Grocers, Central Markets, and other places, as well as online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. We're back talking about environmental justice at the intersection of climate change and worker health. And we're back with Dr. Julie Fulcher with Public Citizen and Juanita Constable with the Natural Resources Defense Council. Thank you, ladies, for being with us. Before the break, we were talking about some of the various elements of climate change as they affect worker health and safety. And we were talking about heat, and I was asking if that was the biggest one, and I think Juanita said not necessarily, but I think what I hear you saying is maybe that's one of the more measurable ones or what? Absolutely, yes. So tell us, Dr. Fulcher, about some of the other elements that cause climate change as they affect worker health. Well, I think there are a a variety of issues that are playing in here, and I think we need to understand that there's an intersectionality about all of them. It's really difficult to pull out one piece of the puzzle and say, this is having this much impact. So we need to understand that those things uh, are uh, intersecting. And I think, as Juanita mentioned, you know, we have issues like heat that are a huge problem, but that heat is also causing or at least a part of other problems like things like uh, mold growth. And also it affects how we interact with one another and may increase things like virus transmission. Um, We don't know the impact of things like climate change on viruses in general, Um, but certainly there there are uh, problems there with how the weather and uh, heat and cold and all of those things interact uh, with things like viruses once they're out there. I think we were all hoping that the summer heat was going to uh, get rid of the coronavirus. It showed how much we do and don't know because it didn't happen. Um, But we all sort of understand as well that once the cold and flu season come on, um, there's going to be that greater impact. Um, When we look at something like heat, Uh, We need to understand not only that that increases uh, the problems with all sorts of chronic conditions um, like kidney disease, heart disease, uh, problems with our respiratory system like asthma, um, but it also does things like create confusion and lethargy and a variety of other things that actually increase other kinds of injuries at work. Um, That's why it's difficult to say this is how much is just heat, um, because there are those other kinds of factors at play, Um, and we don't really know how many additional injuries, but there's certainly some correlational data out there that show it can be a pretty big impact. So I hear you saying that heat generates a lot of these other things. Juanita, can you maybe give us a rundown to make sure that people understand you've got the heat. Just list the other things that that heat is causing in terms of hazards to workers. So there's a huge range of heat-related illnesses. Rising temperatures can also increase injury risk, like Julie just said. It can um, make us more aggressive, so it potentially could lead to workplace violence issues. It can uh, change how disease-transmitting insects and ticks, uh, where they appear in the environment, And so outdoor workers that are working in tall grass might be exposed to vector-borne diseases. 
one of the the challenges that we're facing is that extreme storms and then heat waves are happening concurrently. And we actually recently released a report about climate change and worker health and talked to 14 different workers. None of them talked about just one thing that was affecting them. They all talked about uh, multiple um, issues that they were dealing with, including these very direct things like heat-related illnesses and more indirect things like job loss associated with extreme weather. So let's talk about what are some of the specific heat-related illnesses. I think you mentioned, well, there's heat stroke. I've heard some cardiovascular, I've also heard. Does the heat affect waterborne or water-related infections and illnesses? Does it have an effect on our food or what? Yes, all of the above. So we've already seen um, bacteria called Vibrio uh, that causes cholera and other infectious diseases going further north into um, you know, new waters, which for fishermen that are maybe catching shrimp or other shellfish, they can get infected by Vibrio even just by handling their nets. Um, we've seen um, during extreme storms, sewage overflows in places like North Carolina. So um, yes, absolutely, the waterborne illnesses. Um, heat can also affect our health by disrupting our infrastructure. So, you know, in California right now, we're seeing these big brownouts with, as people are using more air conditioning, they're um, losing electricity just when they need it most. So, um, as we and there's of course a lot of people that are dependent on electricity for medical devices like ventilators or um, other device wheel, electric wheelchairs at home. So there's a whole bunch of different cascading ways that rising temperatures, not just heat waves, but rising average temperatures, can affect our health. Dr. Fulcher, who's most at risk of occupational heat illnesses and death? Well, I, it is associated with interestingly, the same groups of people who are most at risk for coronavirus, uh, intense problems from coronavirus, including hospitalization and death. Um, it's people with heart disease, uh, kidney disease, um, asthma, diabetes. Um, it's also uh, the elderly, people who are over the age of 65. Uh, heat has a greater impact on those who are less um, uh, in shape. Uh, in fact, one of the things that we do to try to mitigate the problem of heat illness in workers is to acclimatize them uh, to the location where they're working. We have so many migrant workers who may be coming from somewhere uh, where they don't have the same levels of heat. Uh, and it takes some time for our bodies to get into shape and respond to that heat. And so you do the acclimatization. Um, the other thing that's a real problem with increasing temperatures is not just the 100, 110 degree heat that we're seeing in southern areas, but we're seeing obviously increased temperatures in the northern parts of the country. And it may not be 100 degrees, but even 90 degrees can be a real problem for workers and others because they're not uh, used to those kinds of temperatures. And even more problematic, their homes may not be air conditioned, their workplace may not be air conditioned because they're not used to this kind of heat. Um, so it's a problem throughout the country, not just those who are experiencing the worst temperatures or the highest temperatures uh, in the southern and western parts of the country. You know, I know I lived in South Florida for a long, long time, and I noticed you would tell me that back in the day there, a lot of the homes were not 
air conditioned because they would be built facing certain ways so they could catch the breeze. But that was way back in the day. <laughs> that area has experienced a lot of climate change since that time. Now it's like a health hazard not to have AC there. Uh, but also to help listeners understand a little bit more, I want to talk about the types of workers who are most affected by climate change as a result of the heat. So they can really understand the types of workers and then how it affects them. Sure. Well, the jobs uh, that are most at risk, and it's important to understand, they're both outdoor and indoor jobs. Um, the outdoor jobs, um, farm workers are at the top of that list. They're at most risk, uh, actually, by far than any other occupation. Um, but construction workers, um, oil rig workers, uh, landscapers, uh, people who work in sanitation, refuse collection, you know, all of those kinds of jobs where you're outside in the heat, a lot of the time, postal workers and package deliverers are really high on that list as well. When you look at the indoor jobs, you have things like warehouses, which oftentimes lack any adequate kind of climate control. You have folks who work in things like bakeries and kitchens, where you have this added problem of ovens that are heating up the room. You have folks who work in factories, some worse than others, depending on the machinery, but in general, factories are at greater risk. And you're seeing increasingly it becoming a problem amongst healthcare workers. Um, the reason being that we're now having to wear, you know, full PPE if you're in the healthcare, not just the mask, but, you know, that gown and everything um, that increases your chances of, uh, of heat illness and heat stroke. And especially those who have to go out and get the COVID shots outside in the drive-through. Just one more thing briefly, Juanita, before we go to break here, and that is, could you tell us a little bit about the heat dome and tell people what that means and how it affects us? I'm actually going to kick that question back to Julie because she's more okay. familiar with it than I am. <laughs> well, heat domes are kind of a, a new phenomenon, or at least a new way of describing phenomena. And it's this idea not just of a heat wave that may come through with a, you know, a storm system or just changes in air, but it's a, it's a broader uh, level of heat that kind of comes down and sits on a huge uh, area. And so we've seen a heat dome sitting across the majority of the United States throughout July, and now it's extending into August. Uh, so we see ups and downs during that time, but in general, very high heat, unusually high heat across a large swath of the country. Or larger or extended period of time, right? That's correct. I think we are in one of those here in North Texas. I'm serious. The last <laughs> we had a rain and then it cooled down a couple of days and it went right back and it's been a couple of weeks. And it's important to note with that and with heat waves that it's not just the high temperature during the day, it's how high the temperature is at night. Sort of that low temperature still being very high means that we can't cool off. Um, we need to be able to sort of rest our body from that extensive heat so that we can start up again the next day. And it's really hard when you have those high, low temperatures. Thank you. We will continue this conversation after the break on the other side with Dr. Julie Fulcher and Juanita Constable. Thank you, ladies. We'll be right back. Welcome 
Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. We are back talking about environmental justice at the intersection of climate change and worker health. And we are with Dr. Julie Fulcher with Public Citizen and Juanita Constable with the Natural Resources Defense Council. Welcome back, ladies. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We want to wrap up our conversation a little bit about heat. We've been talking about that. Like you said, it's one of those things that is more quantifiable. Everybody can see and experience. And we want to talk a little bit about existing standards. Are there federal policies and standards or things that employees must do because they know that the workers are affected by this? And what's happening at the federal level? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, the Centers for Disease Control has a subdivision um, that is the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, or NIOSH, uh, and they have put forth guidelines uh, on uh, what kinds of things to do to mitigate the heat to keep workers safe. Unfortunately, uh, OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, has not made these guidelines requirements. Um, there's no federal heat stress standard um, within the OSHA code. So um, employers have ideas about what should be done, uh, but they're not really getting enforced in any way that requires the employers to keep employees safe from heat hazards. Thank you. I want to move on now, though, to other extreme weather events. Heat is not the only one. We mentioned just briefly, and that was hurricane season. And I think everybody well, I, I'm assuming everybody accepts now <laughs> that climate change has demonstrably increased the severity of our hurricanes. And so talk to us a little bit, Juanita, if you would, about how hurricanes and flooding and some of the other weather events affect worker health and safety. Sure thing. So obviously hurricanes and floods and other forms of extreme weather are dangerous to everyone. But for those first responders and for those people who are cleaning up after storms, they face increased hazards and more hazards in a given day than average folks that have experienced the storm just as a resident. So some of the health hazards associated with hurricanes for workers are things like mold exposure, um, exposure to toxic chemicals. So after Hurricane Harvey, for example, the Arkema chemical plant in Crosby, Texas, had big explosions, and at least 21 first responders were exposed to these toxic chemicals that no one really knows how they'll affect them over the long term. There are things like increased exposure to insect and wildlife bites. Um, if you think about the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, there were lots of images of search crews going door to door and finding people's pets you know, dogs and cats being locked up. And those animals, when they're scared, they're more likely to bite. So even things you don't necessarily think of as being storm-related. There's also um, mental health associations. So first responders are more likely to experience really traumatic scenes and really stressful long days during storm recovery. And so they're at risk of things like PTSD, depression, anxiety, there's a whole host of problems associated with hurricanes and other extreme weather events. We have a, a new extreme weather event uh, that we just heard about in the last few weeks, and that is the derecho. Is that the correct pronunciation of it? In Iowa. Yeah. 
and I understand that it wiped out about 30% of that state's crops. Talk to us a little bit about that and what we might anticipate that all of the environmental issues and worker impacts that that perhaps may cause. Sure. So Doritos, similarly to tornadoes, are one of those scientific um, puzzles when it comes to climate change. There's certainly elements of both derechos and tornadoes that are affected by rising temperatures. Derechos and, and tornadoes are both associated with thunderstorm systems. So tornadoes are spinning winds. Derechos are straight line winds. So derechos are kind of like the land equivalent of, well, they're not even a land. Tornadoes are the land equivalent of a hurricane. Derechos are just like a freight train barreling through. Um, but they're both associated with thunderstorm systems. And because they're relatively rare and they don't last for very long, scientists are still trying to figure out what the long-term consequences of climate change are for the formation of these storms. But one thing we know for sure is that our weather is getting wackier in all sorts of ways. And we can't always predict before the evidence is right in front of our face that something is happening. So the lack of, of connection so far doesn't mean that they're not connected. It just means we haven't figured it out yet. And just like with hurricanes, derechos create massive devastation and have a lot of the same sort of health effects I was just talking about, you know, possible toxic exposure, the mental health consequences, the fact that you no longer have a house to seek refuge from the heat in. And for workers that are trying to pick up the pieces afterwards, that's a big problem. And one of our shows several months ago, when we did talk in depth about all the extreme weather events in general, we learned, too, that there's not been as much research on tornadoes as perhaps with hurricanes and some of the other events. So I imagine derechos would be similar. There's not a lot of research there. But living in North Texas, you become a little bit more familiar with tornadoes than maybe other people. and I'm gathering that there's a lot of air quality issues associated with tornadoes and perhaps derechos as well. Yes, actually, that's true for just about any type of storm. And when you're in a dusty area like parts of North Texas, then you have potential exposure to all sorts of things. So dust can carry bacteria and viruses and heavy metals. And in parts of Arizona and California, they can carry this fungal disease called valley fever, which can be deadly. So high winds, regardless of what they're associated with, can really create some serious air quality problems. And then there's the fires. <laughs> a lot of people do not associate fires with extreme weather events. So, and I know we talked about this again when we talked about it. Can you really briefly connect those dots for people with fires and extreme weather? Yeah, the short story is as temperatures rise and soils and fuels dry out and we see more extreme drought, we see more weather that's conducive to extreme fires. So um, the lightning may have caused a spark or the down power line may have caused a spark, but climate change is helping create the canvas for this painting of fire to be painted on. And double back and, and connect that with worker health and safety as well. There's obviously the firemen, but I imagine it goes beyond that as well. Yeah, so that's a, an area where we need a lot more research. So firemen are obviously and women are obviously associated with, um, you know, injury risk, and they're they're breathing the smoke in right at the source of the flames. But smoke can cause health problems 
thousands of miles away from where the flames are actually burning. But we've seen pictures in recent years of farm workers trying to collect crops while these dark, dark smoke clouds are billowing out behind them. Breathing that in cannot be healthy, and most employers are not providing the kinds of masks they need to keep themselves safe from wildfire smoke, which, by the way, are probably the same kinds of masks they really could use for COVID. Um, we also have to wonder about people who work in buildings that aren't well, um, don't have good air filtration, like potentially schools or, again, warehouses. So there's a lot of work that we still need on the health implications uh, for workers of wildfires. Okay, we have just a couple of minutes before we go to break, and I want to go back to Dr. Fulcher, and I want to double back to environmental justice issues as it relates to some of these heat and hurricane and fire standards. Where is that intersection? Well, what we see uh, is that a lot of folks who are uh, low income are the ones who are sort of most uh, going to be affected by various forms of climate change. When it comes to heat, specifically those jobs that I talked about uh, that are at highest risk uh, also tend to be obviously low-wage jobs, but also jobs that are disproportionately held uh, by black and brown workers. Um, for instance, agricultural workers. 65% of agricultural workers are Latinx. Um, we also see this overrepresentation of black workers within uh, postal carriers and package deliverers and sanitation workers. Um, and uh, we see uh, high percentages of black and brown workers in construction. Um, so these same jobs that are at such high risk are disproportionately impacting uh, um, uh, black and brown workers. Thank you for that. We're going to go to break now. And after the break, we want to come back and talk a little bit more about occupational health, climate change, and COVID, as well as get into some of the gender equality issues as well. Thank you so much. We've been with Dr. Julie Fulcher with Public Citizen and Juanita Constable with the Natural Resources Defense Council. Thank you, ladies. We'll be right back on the other side. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is EarthX the world's largest environmental experience, promoting environmental awareness through expo, conferences, film festival, and interactive experiences. For EarthX, Earth Day is every day. So join in the movement, keep in touch, and add to the conversation at EarthX League. Go to their website, earthx.org, to register and to start talking, and to register for the upcoming October conferences, as well as the Green Gala. Our other sponsors, Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues can be found at all Whole Foods, Natural Grocers, and Central Markets, as well as read and downloaded online at nadallas.com. Thank you, sponsors. Healthy Planet Radio. We are back with Dr. Julie Fulcher with Public Citizen and Juanita Constable with the Natural Resources Defense Council. Welcome back, ladies. Thank you for being with us. I want to talk more now about intersection of occupational health, climate change, and COVID-19. I think most people are seeing and experiencing some of this, 
even though they may not necessarily be part of the vulnerable population. But talk to us about how COVID is exposing a lot of the environmental justice issues. Well, I think what we're seeing is um, a lot of people who have inadequate access um, to um, uh, various services uh, are having more difficulty uh, with the coronavirus. Uh, we've got a lot of folks who live in more crowded housing situations, uh, which are going to be disproportionately uh, low-income uh, individuals uh, and families who often live multi-generationally, making it even more of a hazard uh, for potentially transferring it to your elder relatives. We're also seeing that a lot of low-wage jobs, a lot of essential workers uh, who are out there uh, interacting with the public and interacting with one another are people who don't really have the same kinds of financial options that others have, and they don't have the kind of jobs that allow people, for instance, to do their work now from home using uh, tools like Zoom. So you've got folks like farm workers who are actually right now experiencing some of the highest rates of coronavirus. Um, you've also got folks like um, frontline postal workers, grocery workers, uh, and uh, factory workers, warehouse workers, uh, who are all experiencing high rates of transmission because of the kinds of jobs that they have to do. Um, so we're seeing this intersection of um, economic, uh, social, uh, and physical circumstances uh, that are making life uh, a lot more dangerous for some than others. That for the most part, or to a great degree, the vulnerable populations as it relates to adverse health effects because of their work are the same or similar populations as are being affected by COVID. What do you think, Juanita, might be the implications for perhaps other future types of pandemics? Well, I think one of the things that COVID has shown us is how deeply unprepared our public health system is to rise to this challenge. And unless we see some really significant investment and change in prioritizing what's important in our society, that's going to continue. So just to give you a really specific example, last year, Texas invested the equivalent of less than $18 of state funds per person in its public health system. That's about one hour of wages for one contact tracer. So with that kind of underinvestment, we're just not going to get where we need to be to protect workers or the broader public from future pandemics. So let's talk a little bit more now, though, turn to gender equity and worker health. Who is more vulnerable here and why? And what are some of the specific issues out there related to gender equity right now? Well, I think the, the, the issue is complicated. Um, you know, one thing that we do know is that uh, there is still a wage gap. Women are still making far less than men, even in the same occupations. And they're also more likely to hold occupations uh, that are low wage and more susceptible uh, to different kinds of problems like climate change, like pandemics. Um, and we also see that women are uh, disproportionately handling uh, the, the home uh, as uh, in terms of, of uh, the way that it's structured both economically and socially. Uh, so when things like children at home all the time 
uh, happen, uh, it's disproportionately that work is falling upon women. Uh, so we see them having uh, a lot of more vulnerability than men in general. Um, this is obviously not necessarily the case person to person, um, but in general, women are going to be impacted more uh, by dramatic changes in the environment, um, economically, physically, uh, and um, you know, even though some of these occupations that are most at risk for things like heat stress and other kinds of uh, injury are more likely to be held by men, there's a handful of those occupations that are uh, at high risk that are largely held by women. I think so. Juanita, what are you seeing, or do we have any information or statistics about worker health and how it may disproportionately affect women in the workplace? Sure. So Julie talked earlier about how healthcare workers are experiencing heat stress because they're having to wear this full protective gear that workforce tends to be still dominated by women. Um, we're seeing teachers experiencing heat stress, mold problems, um, you know, mental health issues associated with canceling their students after disasters. They're disproportionately women. And uh, people sometimes are surprised when I say teachers are susceptible to climate change, but a lot of our schools are falling apart. We haven't really invested in them the, the way we should. And a lot of schools don't have air conditioning. They have leaky roofs. Uh, you know, the, the AC sometimes gets turned off to save money, which means the schools are, um, you know, heating up really quickly overnight. So those are some of the kinds of places where we're seeing that, that kind of gender gap. I'd also like to um, point out, though, that LGBTQ folks have an even wider wage gap um, than the, the men-women um, wage gap. And we're seeing that um, they may not have access to the same kind of health services um, as straight folks um, because of discrimination or maybe they don't feel comfortable. Um, and we're also seeing that LGBTQ youth are disproportionately homeless. So they're really um, ex exposed to a lot of um, health impacts that are associated with climate change. Right. I would add to that as well that the, way, the wage gap between men and women varies greatly by race. Um, that's what true. you see is, in general, a wage gap between uh, men and women that's in the, you know, 82% cents on the dollar range. Um, for Latina women, it drops down to the 70s. And for black women, it's uh, around 52 cents on the dollar. So um, this is much more impactful uh, for some women than others. It's well documented that that income has a lot to do with health care and access to health care. And all of these people are making up our workforce. And something you mentioned earlier, too, Juanita, about teachers. I imagine that they may become part of the even more vulnerable class as we go to start back school in the age of COVID. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just like all these other workers that have to wear masks in a hot workplace, if teachers are in schools um, without air conditioning, they're having to wear masks to stay safe uh, and keep their students safe, they're definitely experiencing, going to experience more heat stress. And it's, it's not just the teachers, it's not just the folks in the classroom. Um, during the worker report that we created, we talked to a school bus driver. He doesn't have air conditioning on his bus, and his kids are regularly turning red in the face or 
falling asleep and he's not sure whether they've passed out or not. At the same time, he's got to keep his bus super clean, make sure the kids are wearing their mask, that he's wearing his mask. And as a result, he'll also be more susceptible to heat um, just as he's trying to deal with COVID too. So there's a big intersection there. Thank you, ladies. And I just have two more questions as we only have two minutes to go. <laughs> and that is, how does our failure to take care of our most vulnerable multiply and exacerbate climate change and environmental issues? How can it rather? And then what are some of the solutions and things that ordinary people can do in their everyday lives to help drive those solutions? Uh, well, I think that the, the, one of the biggest issues we have with the man-made climate change is we have um, different kinds of industries that are having a greater impact. We have different kinds of living situations that have a greater impact. Uh, we're not sure how much of that is going to uh, create big climate changes, but we do know, for instance, with these urban heat islands, uh, that the way our living uh, arrangements are set up, we have a much greater heat settling down over cities uh, than the surrounding area, and that's worse in the low-income areas of the city because there's less parks and greenery and things like that that help to keep it cooler. We talked about at some point about the climate refugees, but I think the climate refugees can also be localized and regional, not necessarily just the people coming up from Central America to the U.S., but it can also be people in those heat islands moving to other areas of a region and then impinging or driving other folks to different places. Juanita, last word. What are some of the solutions and how can ordinary people help drive those solutions in their everyday lives? Sure. You know, there's an old saying amongst the labor community that goes, an injury to one is an injury to all. And I think we really have to see this as a moment where we have to take care of one another. Right now, law, most lawmakers aren't thinking about the intersection between climate change and worker health. So as citizens, we need to be raising our voice on a regular basis and say, we need to take action on this issue. It'll be easier if we do it now, harder if we do it later. Great. Thank you so much, ladies. We really appreciate your help. Just barely cracking open the top of this very large and complicated subject. But we appreciate your help. We've been today with Dr. Julie Fulcher, with Public Citizen, and Juanita Constable with the Natural Resources Defense Council. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but it's our goal for it to continue in your homes, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. So thank you and join in again next week for our last topic on environmental justice and social equity. Thank you. <music>